Galatians chapter number 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. Lord, I pray, God, that you would anoint me as I open your word, anoint our ears to hear. God, I pray that you would let there be a lasting impact in our lives, Lord. I pray that through the Holy Ghost, the fruit of the Spirit will grow and we'll have a harvest in you, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You can give the Lord a good hand clap as you're being seated tonight. Amen. Our last lesson on this uh, topic, we talked about the love of God. And tonight's title, if you're going to have a subtitle beyond the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the subtitle would be Our Response to God's Love. Our Response to to God's love. As we ended the last study on this passage, one of the last verses I brought to you was Jeremiah chapter number 31 and verse number 3 where the Lord said, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. That is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it describes the unending love of God. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. God's love is eternal. Isn't that awesome? It's everlasting. It never stops. I've been dealing with someone now for several weeks and several meetings, and I'm, I'm trying my best to get this individual to really believe that in spite of whatever mistakes they may have made in life, that God really loves them. It's hard for people that have a human ability to really understand God's supernatural ability to love. God doesn't only love us when we're good. He didn't quit loving us when we sinned or when we were hurt or broken or addicted. His love is enduring. And like he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The very fact that you are here is proof that God's loving kindness has drawn you. Amen. You did not come just because you made up your mind to come to church. You're not here just because it's the thing to do. You're here because God's loving kindness has drawn you. It's pulled at you. Amen. Once again, I'd like to refer to the New Living Translation of Jeremiah 31 and 3, where he said, with unfailing love have I drawn you to myself. Have you ever known anybody whose love failed? I have. About 50% of marriages in this country end in divorce. There are, I was, I was on the phone with the pastor from 
several states away today. And he was telling me about two young people, two children in his church that the father just left. He just up and left and has had no contact with these children for years and how they are struggling. It's one thing if you have a parent that passes away, but it's another thing if you have a parent that just drops you off and leaves you and never wants anything to do with you. I, I was uh, working, I've been working with the representative of the Tupelo Children's Mansion. And one of, our, one of our ALJC churches a few months ago, a couple of months ago, had a seven-year-old boy that the mother took to the church, dropped the boy off with a note, and drove away. Just decided that she doesn't want the child anymore. When they finally tracked her down, she couldn't sign the rights over quick enough. You talk about failing love. You ever had anybody that told you, I'll be your friend forever? And then only to turn around and find out that it was a failing love. But with unfailing love, this is what God said, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. As human beings, we fail. But God's love is never failing. It's difficult for us to truly understand the love of God. It's important to realize that, that God's very essence is love. 1 John 4 and 8. I've, I mentioned this in our last study. It doesn't say that God has love. It said that God is love. He is love. It's not something that he has. It's the very essence of who he is. Love is not just one of his attributes, but it's his nature. Everything he does emanates from his love for you and I. His love is unconditional. Do I have anybody that's thankful for that? Amen. His love is undeserved. I've never done anything worth deserving his love. And thankfully, his love is limitless. If his love had limits, I would have passed my limit a long time ago. But our human experience is, is learned in context of our environment. We learn love from our family, from our friends, our acquaintances. And because the context of our defining experiences, our human interactions, we learn very soon that people aren't perfect. That's an amen time right there. People aren't perfect, so people are going to fail. There's going to be times when people rise to the occasion and you're going to see that, that the, the, the value of, of, of their heart, but there's going to be times you're going to be disappointed as well. It was John Chrysostom that said, no human being could be human by living this mortal life without grief. No human being could be human by living this mortal life without grief. At some point in your life, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be wounded by other people. I wish, I, you know, I wish I could stand up here and, and truthfully tell you that, that everything's going to be all right and every, nobody's ever going to hurt you and everybody's going to be all right. But the truth is, that in this life, because we are forced to deal with other people, and people aren't perfect, we are going to be disappointed and betrayed and hurt. The pain 
suffered by the actions of others is very often then passed on to others. There's a great book, if you ever get a chance to read it, it's called Hurt People, Hurt People. And when somebody is hurt, when somebody has, has suffered and been emotionally wounded, they tend to hurt other people. And so this pain suffered by actions of others is passed on to others. And so what it does is it affects our ability to really understand love. It makes it hard for us to understand the love of God. Amen. Because we put it in context of our own experiences. We feel unlovable because we see ourselves through human eyes, not through godly eyes. If we are to ever be whole in spirit, the first step you're going to have to come to is you're going to have to accept the fact that God loves you regardless of whatever your past may be. I have known people, I actually met with somebody today and, and I told them, I said, at some point, at some point, you're going to have to accept the fact that God loves you and you're going to have to let him help you get through your trials. Amen. Because if you don't, if you don't accept the fact that God loves you, you'll never feel like you ever belong in the presence of God. But we're not in the presence of God because of what we've done. We're in the presence of God because what he has done. Amen. It's not by the works of righteousness which we have done. Amen. We need to live right. And we're going to get to that in a minute. We're talking about our response to God's love. The cross was the proof of his love for us. Amen. Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth. That word sh means showed us. God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, when you get right, I'll die for you. When you get it together, I'll go to the cross and pay the price for you. He knew that would never happen. And so while we were yet sinners, he died for us. If he died for you when you were a sinner, let me tell you, he loves you now even if you've messed up. The cross is the proof of his love for us. Henry Newman said this, quote, I wonder, this is a great quote. He said, I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to love God? But how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. Isn't that a great quote? Amen. I love this last sentence. God is looking into the distance for me. Have you ever felt like you were so far from God, but somehow God was looking into the distance to find you? No matter how far you feel you are from God tonight, let me tell you, God's looking into the distance to find you. 
Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. I wish I had about 150 sinners here right now to preach that to who feel like they've put so much distance between them and God that it's an uncrossable chasm. But I'll tell you, the love of God is a bridge that looks into the distance. He finds you no matter how far away you are. He reaches and looks and finds you. Oh, God, how many times have I failed you and let you down, but your love just keeps right on reaching for me and reaching for me. Hallelujah. It's a struggle. And I'm trying my best to get through the fruit of the Spirit. I'm glad there's only a few of them. If there were more, we'd never get done. Not positive we will now. As I work on these lessons, I just say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It is a struggle that we have to, to really accept the love of God. Richard... Boilu, he said this, quote, perhaps the greatest obstacle to falling in love with God is the feeling of inadequacy or unworthiness. Why would God seek me? Could I face God? Even the knowledge that God is benevolent and merciful may not be sufficient to quell my inner fear. Anxiety persists in limiting the heart's receptivity to God's love and as a consequence, its willingness to shed. He said, what he's saying is, I struggle to really accept the love of God. I know how inadequate and unworthy I am. I know how many mistakes I make. I know the thoughts I have. I know the struggles that I have. I know the weakness of my flesh. And so I think, why, could, why would God love somebody like me? And so it's our inability to understand God's love causes us to reject his love. There's no way I'll ever be good enough, so why should I even try? There's no way I'll ever measure up, so I think I'll just give up instead. So because we struggle to love like he does, we struggle to let him love us like he does. Consider the thief on the cross. It's Luke 23. We're not going to go, we're not going to go there, I don't think, too much, but, but I do want to refer to it. The thief on the cross knew he was guilty. He knew he deserved to die for his sins. He said as much. The sinner could not remove himself from the cross, come down, make himself worthy. He couldn't come down from the cross and go pay restitution to whoever he had hurt, robbed. He couldn't go to the temple and offer sacrifice. His sins had placed him on that cross with no recourse. Jesus knew that the thief was convicted of crimes he had done. He deserved to be there. But then Jesus looks at him and says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. None of us in this place tonight are as hopeless as that man was. None of us 
are as hopeless as he was. Now, I, that, 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 I call this the dispensation of the cross because under the law, he had to go make a sacrifice. In the church age, he had to repent and be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. But he's in this intertestamental period where Jesus has not yet died, so he hasn't poured his spirit out. And so he's in this, he's in this one six-hour window of time. And God looks at this man. And God gives him an act of mercy. None of us are as hopeless as he was. And here we are tonight, God wanting beyond measure to pull us close to him. Again, let me quote. It said, to accept love on God's terms is one of the most difficult phases of conversion. It's hard for me to come to God. And say, God, I'm dirty, but take me anyway. I feel like I got to clean myself up somehow. I got to get it together. How many times have I invited people to church? And they said, well, when I get some stuff figured out, I'll be there. But the fact is that God wants to help them figure it out. That without God, they'll never figure it out. That you can't put your own life back together. You can't put the pieces of your broken life together without God. You can try all you might, but you're, it's just going to crumble down again. And so God says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God says, I'll help you. But we feel like, how could you love me in the mess that I'm in? And God says, I'll tell you how, because I am love. That's who I am. Amen. Soren Kierkegaard, great 19th century Danish philosopher, wrote this, quote, To cheat oneself out of love is the most terrible deception. It is an eternal loss for which there is no reparation, either in time or in eternity. To cheat oneself out of love. I want us to close our eyes all over this place. And if you're comfortable doing it, I want you to lift your hand to heaven. And I want you to say, God, help me to allow you to love me. God, help me, Lord. I'm, I'm going to pray a little bit on my own. You can pray on your own. God, help me, Lord Jesus, to not impose the limits of human love on you. Help me, God, to know that you are reaching for me at every moment of my life, when I'm strong and when I'm weak. When I'm, when I'm doing good and when I don't feel like I'm doing so good. God, when I'm in the depth of despair or depression or anxiety or when I feel like I'm on top of the world, God, help me to understand that your love is not conditional on my feelings. God, help me to accept that you love me at all times so I don't have to be on a roller coaster wondering if today you're going to kill me and tomorrow you're going to love me. God, that, you don't love that way. You love every day. It's a, it's, a, it's a real problem that people have when they come to God. They do good and then they fail and they want to quit because they, they, they think, well, why would God even care enough about me? How many times have I messed up? 
Bolu wrote, the true self can only be discovered in light of God's love. It was Augustine who said, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him is the greatest adventure. To find him the greatest human achievement. God, help us have a revelation of your love. I know this is, this is some, some rehashing of the ground of the last Bible study. But I'm going to tell you, if we can't get this, we're going to always struggle. We're going to always struggle to feel like we can ever grow in God because we set a limit on ourselves. I'm going to tell you that God wants you to be happy. Amen. Man, I had to remind somebody of it earlier today. God wants you to be happy. This, this individual I spent some time with, they, they, they did something a few months ago they shouldn't have done, and they have paid a price for it. And they, they, they literally feel like they don't deserve to be happy. They feel like they don't deserve. And when anything, when any time they start to feel some happiness and joy, they feel like they have to stop because, because they don't deserve it. I'm telling you that God wants you to be happy. If you repent of your sins and get baptized in his name and fill with the Holy Ghost, get your record clear, God wants you to have peace and joy. God wants you to be happy. The true self can only be discovered in the light of God's love. Without a revelation of that, it's impossible. It's impossible to really ever find our ground as Christians. John 15 and 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Aren't you glad that Jesus called you a friend? Amen. Remember Judas? Remember Judas? Jesus rebuked him. Because when, when the, the lady came and broke the alabaster box of ointment and washed his feet and, and, uh, and, and dry, with her tears and dried, and dried him with her hair and, and she broke this box of expensive perfume and Judas said, we could have sold that and gave it to the poor, but the Bible said he wasn't worried about the poor. The Bible said he was a thief. And Jesus rebuked him and said, the poor you have with you always, but the son of man. And he rebuked him and immediately after he rebuked Judas, the very next verse, Judas went out and sought the opportunity to betray him. And Judas makes a deal with the high priest to sell him for the slave's price of 30 pieces of silver. And he's out in the back alleys and he's negotiating. And then he goes and he says, well, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane right now. And he leads the soldiers to the garden of Gethsemane and he goes up to Jesus and in the customary greeting, in the customary greeting, of that time and that place, he, he kisses him on the cheek and Jesus called him friend. You've just sold me. You've betrayed me. I'm getting ready to have nails in my hands and feet. They're going to put a crown of thorns on my head. They're going to tie me to a post and they're going to whip my back and, and rip the flesh off of my back. Then they're going to strip me naked and hang me on that cross and people are going to mock me and make fun of me and I'm going to die because of what you just did in the last hour of time. And Jesus says, but you're still my friend. 
Greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. I'm going to tell somebody tonight. I want you to close your eyes. I feel something in the Holy Ghost here. I just want to tell somebody, you are God's friend. He said, well, preacher, you don't know what I've been doing. You don't know how I've messed up. You hadn't done what Judas did. He laid down his life for you. He didn't do it because you were perfect. He did it, he did it because he knew you were imperfect. He didn't do it because you were holy. He did it because he knew you were unholy. He didn't do it because you had it all together. He knew he did it because he knew that you were falling apart. There's no greater love than that. And so the question is, in light of his great love, what should my response be? How should I react to the love of God? 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. My first response ought to be to love him. So many times, church becomes about the experience. We get caught up in the music. We get caught up in the preaching. We get caught up in the experience. We get caught up on what he can do. He can heal. He can deliver. He can give joy. He can give peace. But at the heart of all of it, we, gotta love, we ought to love him because he first loved us. If he never heals us again, if he never touches us again, if he never lets me feel those goosebumps and that warm feeling of his presence again, I ought to still love him because he first loved me. He's already, we sing it, but we don't really believe it. He's already done enough. We sing it, but we don't really believe it. Amen. I, I can tell from my time pastoring, Brother Wilson, Brother Carson, you guys have, have uh, I started to say you guys have more years under your belt pastoring than I'll ever get. But that's because there's two of you and, uh, and because it's still true either way. How many times, how many times have we had, to, had people that came and said, I can't feel God, I think I'm going to quit. Uh, God don't love me. He, I, I've, been praying for, and he, I've been praying for this and he, God just doesn't love me anymore. We sing it. That if he never, what's that song, he's already done enough? We sing that song, but we don't really believe that song because you let us go a little bit of time in a trial and we're like, God, what about me? But the truth is, my first response to his love is I ought to love him because he first loved me. So how can I offer lukewarm, uncommitted love to a God that loves me so greatly? How can I love him so much on Sunday and then act like I don't even know him on Monday? How can I love him so much when I'm around my church folks? And act like he's not in my life when I'm around the people at school or work. We love him because he first loved us all the time, always. My response to him 
is to love him. Deuteronomy 6 and 5, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with, what's the word? All thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The word all appears three times in this one verse. Nowhere does the Bible authorize lukewarm love for God. Jesus reiterated it in Mark 12 and 29. And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But you understand that's not a commandment, that's a statement. Right? You with me? I'm having a little trouble seeing out. You with me? Audrey, it's good to see you. Amen. Thank you. That's not a commandment. That's just a statement. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's not a thing you can do about that. You can make as many idols as you want. You can make three crosses and put, and put whatever you... But, that's, but that doesn't change the fact that there's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But so then what is the first of all commandments? Because that's not a commandment. He said the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And, next verse, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And Jesus added another one, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The first thing God wants from you is all. He doesn't want to share you with the world. He doesn't want to share you with the drug. He doesn't want to share you with any. He says, I want you to love with all. The word he used, the first commandments, the word protos. It means the foremost in order, the most important, the chief in rank, the first in influence. Loving God is the most important commandment. There's lots of other commandments, but the most important one is love God. If you'll love God, everything else just starts to fall in place. But how do I love God? I've only been going 29 minutes and 50, 30, 30 minutes on the nose. So we got a little bit of time. How do I love God? Is it merely by words and saying, oh, I love Jesus? Is it wearing a t-shirt that says I do? Is it just repeating a prayer? Jesus clearly and emphatically said how we're to love him. John chapter 14 and 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, right? This is all part of it. I love God by obeying God. If you love me, keep my commandments. Don't tell me you love me and then do something else. Let's go on a little bit. John 15 and 10, the next chapter. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even if I, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It became a foundational doctrine of the church. That loving God means obeying God. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. It's not this greasy, charismatic mess that's floating around out there these days. 
where loving God just means doing whatever you want to do. It's foundational that if you love God, you keep his commandments. Amen. That's Bible. I'm in the book. I'm not just in the Old Testament either. I'm in the New Testament. If you really love God, do what he says do. Amen. I didn't know I was going to preach this good tonight. I kind of thought I might flop. I still got time to, though. Don't give up on me. It's a foundational doctrine of the church. Say it with me. Loving God means obeying God. Oh, hallelujah. That, if I said loving God means you're going to get a miracle, we'd say, woo. But the foundational, the first commandment, everybody say, everybody say the first commandment. The protos, the foundational, the beginning. It starts with this, loving God. And that means obeying God. Let's go a little bit further. 1 John 2 and 3. And hereby we do know that we know him. Well, how do I know that I know him? If we keep his commandments. 1 John 5 and 3. For this is the love of God that we keep singing. This is the love of God that we keep clapping our hands. No, no. This is how, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. Hallelujah. I don't know. I've been married 28 years. I don't know that I've ever regretted having to buy a birthday present for my wife. I don't think I've ever got up to go buy an anniversary present and thought, man, I wish I didn't have to do this. I mean, good Lord, look at me. I I, I swung and hit a grand slam. I, I, I'm, my batting average is way above my ability. I don't think I, there's ever been a time when I thought, ah, man, I hate to have to get her an anniversary present. I've always realized, man, I'm lucky to have her. I may not be able to afford much, but I, whatever I can afford, I'm going to give it to her. She doesn't require much. She doesn't like a bunch of that fluff and attention. Hope she's, I, that was just in case she was watching. She's out there working somewhere. Somewhere he, around here. Where she? Oh, there she is. <laughs> Baby, you're hard to see sometimes. That's why I call her sweet and low. I wouldn't have been so mushy if I'd have known she was in here. Now I'm embarrassed. No. And his commandments are not grievous. Oh, man, I don't get to go out and get hammered now because I have to love God. Oh, man, you mean I got to get up and go to church? Ugh. I got to be in his presence. No, he said, this is the love of God. We keep his commandments and his commandments are not 
grievous. We understand that we are by far getting the better end of the deal. Amen. We treat God like he's lucky to have us. Here I am, God. Look at this. You sure are lucky. No, we by far got the best end of this deal. We get grace and peace and joy and love and heaven on top of all that. By far, we got the best end of the deal. His commandments aren't grievous. It's, it's the least I can do. The Bible calls it our reasonable service. It's unreasonable to believe that we, that we truly love God yet casually accept sin in our lives. Hallelujah. Boy, we liked it a lot better when I was preaching all that fluffy God loves us. But, but, but it ought to cause a response in my life. It's not to say that we'll never have faults or make mistakes or a bad decision. It means that we don't just casually permit low living. We apply ourselves to walking into obedience in the word of God. Holiness in lifestyle and action becomes the only logical, plausible reaction to the love of God that he gave us. It's the least we can do to obey his commandments in light of what he gives us through his love. Edward Vasek said this, quote, the primary point of grace is not sinfulness. However, given our sinfulness, God's love takes the form of mercy. Boy, that's a great quote. The primary point of grace is not sinfulness. Well, God's grace will cover it. It'll be okay. I'll do it and ask forgiveness. No, that's not the point. But, the, but given our sinfulness, God's love takes the form of mercy. His commandments are not grievous. That word grievous means burdensome or heavy weight. They're not a heavy weight. Changing. Can, do y'all have, have just about five more minutes in you? Changing how I live my life. To properly honor a God who loves me as great as he does is not a heavy weight to bear. Godly living liberates me from the bondage of sin and hurt and spiritual trauma. Many people have the mistaken idea that serving God is restrictive and severe, but it's really the opposite. Really serving God frees you from that. Living for God and serving him liberates the Christian from guilt and shame and fear and low spiritual self-esteem. A Christian who lives a godly life doesn't need to fear the consequences of poor choices. I'm, I'm doing some sermon surgery here. Famed Christian author C.S. Lewis said this. Every time you make a choice, you are turning. The part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. Every time I make a choice, I'm turning towards God or towards the world. Everything I do is a choice. 
And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So when I turn towards obedience, I'm turning towards God. But when I turn away from obedience, I'm turning away from the love of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. Brother J. Frank Wilson, I believe, Brother Wilson, I've heard you quote your dad say every church service, I either get, we either get closer to God or further from him. Every decision has a bearing on the shaping of my soul. Let me, let me go on just a little bit more. I got a lot more than I thought I did. God's love calls us to live a life of holiness. John Wesley taught the one thing needful was the very thing Christians seem to be neglecting, holiness of life and heart. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7, For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Paul contrasted holiness to uncleanness. Uncleanness, by definition, is moral impurity. Holiness, then, would be the opposite. It's associated with living a pure life before God. I'm talking about my response to God's love. How do I respond to his love? 1 Thessalonians 4 and 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. God, help me to learn how to live a holy life. Help me to learn how to keep myself pure before you by obeying your word. Thomas Campbell defined holiness as, quote, a life entirely devoted to God, a life of fervent love to him, of sincere delight in him, of profound reverence for him. Barton W. Stone wrote, quote, holiness is a conformity to the universal law of love to God. Holiness is a conformity to the universal law of love to God. And man, both in spirit and letter, in heart, the saints love God. God, help me. Help me to respond to your love properly. Why don't we stand and lift our hands to heaven? God, I thank you for your unending, everlasting love for me. God, I thank you because you have indeed loved me with an everlasting love. God, there's not a single individual in this room tonight that you haven't given your full measure for. The death on the cross is the greatest proof of love. It's not like a note that somebody can pass and then it goes away later. But God, your, your love note to us on the cross is eternal. You shed your blood. Thank you because you have loved us with an ever, everlasting love. You laid down your life for me. Now, God, help me, Lord Jesus, not just to consume your love, but God, help me, Lord, to have the proper response to your love. That I love you.
because you first loved me. And not only that, but I love you by obeying your word. Lord, I'm asking you tonight in this house, Lord, you know every soul, everyone that's here. You know all the trouble and trauma, all the heartache and all the pain, all the suffering, all the failures, all the sins, all the times we failed, all the times we let you down. And yet your love continues unfailingly to draw us once again. And God, I thank you. Can you just thank him for it? And God, help me to properly respond to your love by loving you back and obeying your word. God, help me not to live just according to my will, but I want to live according to your will. God, I pray that you help me, Lord Jesus, to love you in the way your word tells me to, by obeying your commandments. And God, if there's anyone in this place that has not repented for their sins, if they're carrying the weight and the burden of their failures and faults and sins, God, right now, right where they are, it's as simple as just looking to you and saying, God, forgive me for every sin that I've done. Wash me, God. Help me. Come on, I think somebody could be praying it right now. Maybe for the first time or maybe it's someone that you've hit a little hiccup in your life. You've had a little bit of a setback. You've had a season where you've been away from God and you know it's time to get it back. Or maybe you have come to church relentlessly, but still you find yourself today in need of repentance. We can do it right now. Lord, I pray, wash me, cleanse me. Help me, Lord to serve you and to love you. Come on, while we pray right now, and if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the great, one of the greatest things you'll ever do in your life, actually the three greatest things you could ever do, number one is repent, number two is be baptized in Jesus' name. It's the washing away of your sins. It's not enough just to apologize for it and say, God, I'm sorry, but you got to have them washed. And that's what his blood was all about. And you can be baptized in Jesus' name and have your sins washed away. And then there's an awesome promise, the promise of the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can be filled with the Spirit of God. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen. And when the Holy Ghost comes, it'll fill you with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's, that power, that spirit and presence of God will help you. The Bible says that you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come on you. And that power will help you to serve Him and live for Him. It's a wonderful promise. I think we ought to thank God for His promise tonight. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, my response to your love is to love you back and to obey and to serve you and to live a holy life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's what God's love wants to pull out of our hearts. Lord, I pray for everyone here tonight. I pray, God, your blessing on everyone in this class and everyone watching online. I pray, God, that the seed of your word, God, has found good ground. God, I pray, let it, let it stay in our mind and in our heart. Help it, oh God, to continue to form us 
and to help us grow in grace and knowledge of you. I want to have the right response to your love. I want to live my life in a way that's pleasing to you and in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. Amen. I only have one more lesson on, on love. And then we can move on to the other fruit. Praise the Lord. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.